Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We have been looking in the Word in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we've spent the first bit of this year and some of last year looking in 1 Corinthians chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. And we're now going to shift ahead a little bit to chapters 5, 6, and 7. So if you want to, to kind of know where we are in the Word over the next few weeks, then it's going to be in 1 Corinthians chapters 5, 6, and 7. So that's a good point um, of, of reference for all of us. And as we were in 1 Corinthians uh, 1 to 4, we talked a lot about unity and togetherness and, and growth, didn't we? Everybody remember those sorts of things coming out of the Word? And as we move into chapters 5 to 7, Paul begins to talk to the church in Corinth about... Some quite spicy topics, I would say. He starts to to talk about sexual purity and how to deal with issues within the church. He talks about how to honour God and one another in our relationships and in the different situations of life that we find ourselves in. And much of what Paul says was countercultural. And it is countercultural now. And that actually is exactly the point. That is exactly the point, because what was true then is also true now, that we are a kingdom community. We are a kingdom community called to live by and with a kingdom culture. We're not those that are going to be influenced and shaped and moulded by the world around us, but we are called to be influencers and shapers and moulders of the world around us. And that's exactly what Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 2. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we want to live as as an inside-out sort of people, not an outside-in sort of people. That's what, what is in us transforms what is outside of us, not what is outside of us conforms us so that what is in us is affected by what is outside of us. Does that make sense, all the ins and outs and the shake it all abouts? Yeah, you're all with me? Good. Now, what I should mention at this point is I have actually got a guest speaker this morning. Yeah? So I'm not going to say who that is, because that's a surprise for a little bit later on. But um, just be alert, okay? I've got a guest speaker. I thought there'd be a bit more excitement in the room when I said that, actually. (laughs) Yes. You'll be excited when you see who it is. So, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to read a few verses to set the scene for today. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 12 to 20. Yeah, thanks, Nathaniel. Put that on the screen. So Paul here, writing to the Corinthians, very much in the context of, of sexual purity, he writes this. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. 
But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. It's quite a heavy hit to that passage, isn't it? <laughs> but it's great. It's really, really helpful. And we, we talk a lot about the body in the sense of we, we know that we are like a body, aren't we? Everyone plays their part and we're the body of Christ together. Um, but today we are going to talk about our actual bodies. So anybody with a body, give me a wave. Yeah, okay. So this applies to most people in the room. That's good. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about our actual bodies. The, the body, what we do with it, what we do to it, is really, really significant. And verse 19 and 20 tell us that it's significant because our bodies are home to the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are entrusted to us. And our bodies are valuable to God. So for those three reasons, and many others... Our bodies and what we do with them, to them, for them, really matters. So first off, our bodies are home to the Holy Spirit. I was just thinking about how, you know, when Jesus walked the earth, he was up against great opposition in terms of temptation and testing, but with absolutely zero compromise, he kept himself holy so that he could offer himself and his body as a spotless, perfect sacrifice. He fought the fight and he won. He stayed holy. And part of the reason for doing that was so that when he ascended to heaven, he could send his Holy Spirit. And when we received that Holy Spirit into our hearts, we became joined in spirit. We're joined in spirit with the Holy Spirit. You know, he's also the comforting spirit, the peaceful spirit, the guiding spirit, the befriending spirit. But just as importantly, he is the Holy Spirit. He's not just any old spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. So we now carry in our bodies the Holy Spirit. If you're saved this morning... If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, he lives in you by his Holy Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 6, 17, it told us that we are now united with the Lord, with him in spirit. So our bodies are the temples or the homes of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's quite clear, isn't it? That's, that's what we, we read in those verses. Our bodies are homes to the Holy Spirit. But you know what that means? And what really um, struck me when thinking about all of this, that Whatever I subject my body to, I subject the Holy Spirit to. Yeah? Whatever I do with my body, the home of the Holy Spirit, he is subjected to that same thing. The person who, with zero compromise, kept himself holy throughout his earthly life, who did nothing wrong with his body and offered it as a sacrifice for me on the cross. He now lives in me, totally pure and totally holy. And whatever I subject my body to... I subject him to as well. That's a sobering fact. 
But it's incredibly encouraging that Jesus has gone ahead of us and he has showed us exactly how we live lives of holiness to God. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 to 16, just make, the, make a reference to that if you want to, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. It says, we do not have a high priest, this is Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way, as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. That's what, that's what a great, great high priest is. It's someone that goes ahead to make a way so that we can find in them the help that we need when we go through similar things. And the Apostle John, when he's writing in the book of 1 John, he gives us a, a helpful framework of how to understand this testing in every way, this, this temptation of every sort, everything that the world could throw at Jesus. What, what did that look like? Well, 1 John 2.16 Again, make a reference if, you, if you'd like to. 1 John chapter 2, 16. He talks about three things. He talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Everything that the world could throw at Jesus, he was tested in every way, and you can broadly put those things into these three kind of categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And you know, these three things... They are the tried and tested tactics of Satan, okay? Satan, has, he's been at this game for a long, long time. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. They are the, the tactic of the enemy to tempt the kingdom community to be conformed by a worldly culture rather than be those that transform it. The lust of the flesh, it's, it's this, this inner appetite this inner craving, this inner hunger, if you like. An inner appetite is probably quite a helpful way to describe it. The lust of the eyes, it's, it's coveting. It's, it's what is outside of my remit that I can see that looks good that I want. You know, I have these boundaries in pleasant places, but what's actually outside of that that looks good to me that I want? The lust of the eyes, the coveting, the things that aren't ours, crossing the line, going beyond our remit. And the pride of life, it's the, this arrogant, boastful pride that says, look at me, look at my works, look at my successes, look at my accomplishments, look at all that I have. It's the, the pride of life, the look at me. And in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are tempted by exactly these three things. Satan comes, he deceives the woman and in chapter 3, verse 6, it says, The woman saw that the tree was good for food. It's that inner appetite. This tree is good for food. Remember, do not touch this tree. Do not eat from this tree. You can have everything else. Here's your pleasant boundary. Here's everything that's in it. This tree is not. Okay, but there's this inner appetite. This looks good for food. She saw that it was good for food and delightful to look at. The lust of the eyes. That's outside of what God said, but it's delightful to look at. And that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. You know, if I ate from this tree, I could know everything. I could have anything I wanted. I'd have all of the wisdom. I'd be able to say, look at me. 
Look at all that I've achieved. Look at my own work successes. Look at everything that I've got. And then when we come to... Sorry, this is... I know this is, this is fairly kind of... It's going gonna, it's gonna to get much more positive, trust me. <laughs> Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, because Satan is at it again. This time he, he decides Jesus might be a good, a good person. I don't know what he was thinking, but... He decides to tempt Jesus. And just remember here that this is Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Okay? This isn't Jesus... Um, well, Jesus is God, but this isn't Jesus with all of his divine privileges as God. This is Jesus, the man, the human, full of the Holy Spirit. That's how he came to us, full of the Holy Spirit, giving up his divine privileges so that he could be that great high priest, just like we are, full of the Holy Spirit, to go first and show how we could do it too. So this is Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. And in Matthew chapter 4, it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay? And there are essentially three ways that Satan tempts Jesus, and it's these three things. First of all, he says in in, in verse 3, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus, having fasted for 40 days, quite hungry by this point. And Satan comes and said, Why don't you just, why don't you fulfill that inner appetite? Why don't you turn these stones into bread? And then in verse 5 and 6, He comes again, and he takes him to the holy city. He had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. He said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, and you will not strike your foot against a stone. But that wasn't what Jesus was here to do. He wasn't here to make a public spectacle of himself in that way. That was outside of the remit of Jesus's uh, ministry and mission, what he was here to do. It wasn't all about, everybody look at me and, and look at the, if I jump off here and the angels catch me, look, look at how amazing that is. What a great public spectacle that would be. That was Satan trying to tempt with the, the lust of the eyes. You know, this would look so good, Jesus. Can you imagine? All of the, this is the, the most popular place in the city on the pinnacle of the temple and everyone would look at you and see you do this great thing. It's the lust of the eyes. And that's essentially what, in um, 1 Corinthians 6, the the first few verses we read said, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I won't be mastered by anything. You know, Jesus could have done that. That wasn't what he was here to do. He he had the right to do that, but it wouldn't have been beneficial. And it's, you know, we can have similar situations where everyone else is doing this. I have the right to do this. I can do whatever I want. But it's not within our pleasant boundaries. And then in verses 8 and 9, Satan comes again, and he says to to Jesus, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I'll give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus, why don't you be in charge of everything? Have everything. All you've got to do is worship me. Put yourself at the top, but, but just worship me. Because if you do that, everyone will look at you, and as they look at you, they'll see me. That's the deception behind that. Everyone will see you and, and all, all, of your, all of your things, but that's only actually going to point to me. And Jesus comes back at Satan for all these three things, and he gives us some really useful tools 
of how to combat the temptation of the devil. Because to the temptation of turning the stones into bread, Jesus says to Satan, well, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by the word of God. It is the word of God that satisfies, that nourishes. It is the words coming out of God himself, the one who is eternal and infinite and who has planted that same eternity into our hearts so that the only thing that would satisfy that is him himself. You know, there are all of these empty pleasures and empty satisfactions that will never satisfy that true eternal longing that is in our hearts that only God himself can satisfy. And literally, as we read the Bible each day, as we commit to a daily reading plan, as we get the word of God in us, it is our daily bread that nourishes and sustains. To the lust of the eyes, Jesus says, you're not to test the Lord. Don't test the Lord. You know, God, God is gracious and loving and forgiving and merciful, but we don't need to test that. But that. That's who he is, but we don't need to test that. And actually, contentment is the real antidote to the lust of the eyes. Of, oh, I just quite like that, which is outside of what I've got. But when we're content with what we have, when we find the goodness of God in our actual situations, not a situation that we we hope for or long for, but in our actual situation where we're content with God's allotted portion to us, then the lust of the eyes goes out the window. And then to the the be in charge of everything, to the, the pride of life, the successes, the possessions, the look at me... Jesus essentially says, look at God. Look at God. I'm here to worship him only. Don't need everybody looking at me. It's not about what I do. It's not about my accomplishments, my successes. I'm here simply to point to God. In fact, says Jesus, I only do what I see the Father doing. I'm looking at him all the time. He is the focus. And as we come to the Lord in worship, as we fix our eyes on him, then everything pales in comparison. As we look at God, we love him. We love him more and more and more. And love is just so much better than lust. Okay? So we stay holy by staying full of the Holy Spirit who is in all of these things. He's in the daily bread. He's in the contentment. He's in the worship of the Lord Jesus. And we stay full of the Holy Spirit by meeting him in scripture, by acknowledging the goodness of God in our actual lives and being content and giving thanks and by worshipping the Lord with our singing and with our serving and with all that we do. So if holiness feels like a challenge, you need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, okay? So, everyone all right so far? Good, 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 good. Now, our bodies are not only home to the Holy Spirit, as if that wasn't enough. They're also entrusted to us. It's said in verse 19, you are not your own. So our bodies are for us to look after or to steward on behalf of God. They're not actually ours to do whatever we like with. They are God's that he has entrusted to us to look after. Psalm 24, you you may know pretty well, and verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, 
The world and all of its people belong to him. But how often do we actually think of our bodies in the context of that? The earth, everything in it, the world, all of its people, including our bodies, belong to him. And actually that, that mindset, that belief is countercultural. This is kingdom culture, the idea that we need to look after our bodies well because we're looking after them for God. You know, and to think that when we give an account for everything that God gave us to look after, that includes our bodies. And actually one of the ways that we preach the gospel to those around us is by living beautiful, good, healthy lives. People will know who Jesus is, yes, by how we speak, yes, by the good things that we do, but just as much by the way that we live, by our good lives. They speak volumes about who Jesus is. So we are to honour and glorify, glorify God with our bodies. And at this moment, I would like to invite a very special guest you might have heard of him before. I don't want to big him up too much. But it is Dr. Richard Pemberton. Yes. Just to tell us a little bit more about how we steward well these bodies that God has given us. Thanks, Will. Thank you. Can you all hear me? Yes. So I'd like to start by saying I'm not the guest speaker. I'm here as the speaker to make Will look good. Um, Did you know that 8 out of 10 chronic diseases like blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, dementia, are lifestyle diseases? 8 out of 10. And did you also know that 4, up to 4 out of 10 cancers could be avoided if we made better lifestyle choices? Now, I'm not here to condemn anybody. Thankfully, the word says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? But what I would like to say is just a couple of things about um, health from a six-pillar perspective, okay? So one of the things that I do uh, alongside many things is I am a lifestyle doctor. And um, lifestyle medicine is a new branch of medicine which is really taking off quite rapidly. And it looks at these six different pillars of health. So one is nutrition, the other is physical activity, the other is sleep, one is stress, one is addictive substances, and the other is social connectivity. And Will has asked me just to offer one suggestion under each of these headings to try and help us steward our bodies better and to live healthier and longer lives. Not just longer lives, but healthier, longer lives. Are you with me? Okay, all of this is science-backed, you'll be pleased to know. And it's all about making better choices. So I'm just going to give one thing. Believe me, I could talk for days on this subject. And I'm just going to give one little thing under each of those headings. And what I'd like you to do is just to be able, and I'm sure Will is going to reaffirm this, but I just want you to to take on board just one of the things under each heading and think, could I do that this week? Could I do that this month? Okay, so under nutrition... The first thing about nutrition I'd like to say is um, we are what we eat. So I'd like to put it out there that we should try to eat a rainbow of colour every day. Okay? Quite simple. What's a rainbow of colour? Well, we all know the rainbow. Red, orange, yellow, green. I need to say the song. Um, 
so what could you eat that's red? A pepper or a tomato every day. You've done your red, tick. Something orange, an orange. <laughs> Carrots, those kinds of things. What's yellow? A pepper. What's green? Well, broccoli, bee, peas, cabbage, all of those kinds of things. What's blue? Blueberry. And what's purple? Well, red onions are purple in my house. Um, so something that has a red onion in it or something like an aubergine or something like that. Okay? So a rainbow a day. Tick. Nutrition. Wow, that was quick. Um, physical activity. Now, I'm really trying to push myself on this. Um, physical activity is not necessarily joining a gym and doing, you know, one-hour hit workouts and all that kind of stuff. But I just want to give you a, a little thing that you could try to do just to try and improve the levels of physical activity that we have, okay? There's lots of evidence to say that this is really good for you. So, number one, move when you can. Okay, what does that mean? When you're in a queue, move around. Why don't you do some stretches whilst you're in the queue? Why don't you try and touch your toes? Do those kinds of things. <laughs> really important. If you ever see me in a queue, you'll think, who is that nutter? But <laughs> it gets worse. One of the other things that you could do, get ready for this if you own a car, when you're filling the car with petrol, why not do some squats? <laughs> do you, was that a good squat? Good form. Was that good form? When you're filling the car with petrol, now I look really weird in a, in a supermarket garage, but do some squats. And this is the other thing that we sometimes do in our house, although I think we could do it better. It, when you're watching TV, TV advert, walk up and down the stairs, job done. Simple, is that simple? In an advert, get up, walk up the stairs, walk back down the stairs, sit down again. You've done some movement, really good. What about sleep? Well, try to keep sleep times consistent. What I mean by that, I know sleep for a baby is not an easy thing, but sleep times consistent means get up at the same time on a weekend as you do on a weekday. There's a huge amount of scientific research that says that's really, really, really good for your body, that the whole rhythm of life that the body has, it really settles into it. So try to keep sleep times consistent on the weekend. So get up at the same time on a weekend as a weekday. Um, another thing you can do is to avoid bright lights at least one hour before bedtime. I'm really sorry, youth, younger people. I'm really sorry. It isn't just about blue lights. There is so much more about stimulating your brain before bed. And if you want to grow up to be really big and tall, then you need to do that. Okay, next one, stress. Um, really, really simple exercise that we can all do. It's called three, four, five breathing. Okay, and we're all going to do it in a second. Three in terms of three seconds breathing in, hold it for four, and breathe out for five. Can we all do that? Should we all do that together? Okay, I'm gonna count and not breathe in. In through the mouth, hold for four seconds, out for five. Are you ready? Okay, in, one, two, three, hold, one, two, three, four, out, one, two, three, four, five. And I bet if you do that a few times, that's been shown to reduce the stress hormone in the bloodstream immediately. So it's one of the things that you can actually do that works really quickly. And if any of you are really into it, you'll know that the heart rate slows down, blood pressure comes down, all of those things really, really important. Okay, next one, addiction. All I'm really gonna say is it, it isn't just nicotine and alcohol. Obviously, those are two big things. 
But I really just wanted to say that we should be open and honest with each other. So that's all I'm going to say about it in terms of um, addiction thrives in silence. Okay? So be open, be honest. If you've got a problem, find somebody in the church. Come and speak to me. Come and speak to a friend. Whatever it may be, speak to a person. Get it out there and you can be helped. And the last one, social connectivity. So if you look at all of the research in all of those six pillars, social connectivity in terms of health and longevity is greater than all of the others put together. Okay, social connections, massive, huge. And what a privilege we have in being part of a body of believers. That's huge. So all I want to say on that is be open, sorry, invest and maintain strong and supportive relationships with your family and friends. It takes an investment. It takes an investment of time. It, it's remembering the little things like birthdays, job interviews. I, I try to put a list of things in my, in my phone to try and help me with that. Um, be part of a life group. Really important. And the other thing I just wanted to say, and then I'm finished, is offer to serve in the church or elsewhere. Volunteering gives people a huge sense of well-being and fulfillment. Thank you. Wow. I feel healthier already. Fantastic. Really good. Thank you, Richard. That's very, very good. Um, Rich said that they're... There's no condemnation, and that is 100% true. Um, the Holy Spirit might convict us, though. We're not condemned, we're not, we're not judged, but there is conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's good. That, that helps us to change. But there's, there's conviction. But behind all of that is the compassion of God. You know, it's because of a heart of love for us that, that God wants us to do well, to be healthy, to be holy, to be strong, and all of those things. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, the, the final thing is that we are valuable to God. That's that compassion speaking through, that, that we're valuable to God. It says in verse 20 that you were bought at a price. I just, uh, in the last couple of months, God showed me something of uh, somebody looking around and things were, were dark and then under dimly lit lamps on the walls were things like um, affirmation, uh, value, comfort, reassurance. They, they were dimly lit on the wall. But then as that person turned around and saw, this is a little bit what described earlier, but saw the, the brightness of Jesus, that those Words that those things, that those feelings were, were just so plain to see that in Jesus Christ we find our affirmation, we find our value, we find our acceptance, our comfort, our reassurance. Jesus is the source of all of those things. There's a great book by um, a lady called Nancy Piercy called Love Thy Body, and it's about answering hard questions about life and sexuality. It's a, a really interesting read. And there are a couple of things that she says in there um, which touch on this issue of the fact that we're valuable to God. So I'm just going to read a, a couple of quotes from that book. It says, you may not believe in God, probably talking to the wrong crowd here, but um, 
but I do. And because of that, I believe in the value of all people. I believe we're all made in his image and likeness. And that's why I believe all people are worth something. If you believe that people only get their value from each other, then people can take that away. But if our value comes from God, then nobody has the right to say, and she's talking about disability in particular here, nobody has the right to say that someone who walks is worth more than someone who doesn't. Or swap out whatever it may be, but we're valuable to God. In another place she says, indeed the reason the fall is such a tragedy is precisely because humans have such high value to begin with. When a cheap trinket is broken, we toss it aside without a second thought. But when a priceless work of art is destroyed, we're heartbroken. The reason sin is so tragic is that it destroys a human being, a priceless masterpiece that reflects the character of the supreme artist. It's not just Nancy Piercy who thinks things like this. The Bible actually confirms all of these things. And here are five verses, which you could make a note of again if you like to, that just tell us how valuable we are to God. Genesis 1.27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14 say, For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Isaiah 64, verse 8 says, Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Ephesians 2, verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And Romans 5, verse 8, there's loads more verses, but just these five for today. Romans 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, I sometimes um, think about if we were to to go to Jesus, we'd stand before him and say, Jesus, um, do you love me this much? He said, no. I said, Jesus, well, do you love me this much? He said, no, no, no. Do you love me this much, Jesus? Nope. Do you love me this much? No. Well, Jesus, do you love me this much? He said, no. He says, son, daughter, I love you this much. And with the nails and the scars in his hands, Jesus says to each of us, I love you this much. This is how much I love you. I took all of your sin, took all of your sickness, crown of thorns, the mars and the scars, took it all upon me, gave up my whole life because I love you this much. This is how much I love you, says Jesus. And if you don't know that today, you need to know today that this is how much Jesus loves you. Look at the cross. That is how much Jesus loves you.
what Will um, has just been describing for the past few minutes and what the um, quote that he read describes is the problem that you and I all had if you're a Christian and if you're not, that you still have. And this is, this is the truth, is that if you are not a Christian, you have a problem. And that problem is that sin has left you broken. Sin has left you entirely separate from the person who loves you this much. And for all the other things that are talked about this morning, that for you is the thing to focus on right now is that you have a problem that can be solved. And it's by accepting and putting your faith in the person that loves you this much. And the response that I've made, that all the Christians in this room have made, is simply this. Jesus, I believe in you. I'm going to follow you. And please Forgive me and fix this problem that I know that I have. And if that's you this morning and you're saying that is that I know, I recognize that is a problem that I have, that I, I feel and I know that deep down whatever is going on in my life might be okay and my life actually might be going all right, but I know that there's something in me that's broken and that's far from God, then this morning, right now, I'm just going to give you the opportunity to make that right. And the way that you do that, the way that we all did that, was simply by asking God to forgive me for those sins, to forgive me for that problem that is keeping me far from him, and to ask him to lead me, and to say that I will follow him for the rest of my life. And so I'm just going to ask everybody, whether you are a Christian already or not, just to bow your head and to close your eyes. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And for those of us that are Christians, if you could just say this over so that it's not obvious and, and we're not drawing, I'm not here to draw attention to you this morning, make you the focal point of what's happening now. But if you want to pray this for the first time, you can pray this and everybody around is going to be praying. And then if you're praying this for the first time with everybody's head bowed and their eyes closed, would you just lift your hand? Because there's some people, uh, our hosts this morning have a gift for you that they're going to give you and it's just going to instruct you and help you in how to keep making this decision because it's a decision that as Christians we make every day, okay? So if we could bow our heads, close our eyes and say, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Thank you that you died for me. Thank you that you died for me. Thank you that you love me that much. Thank you that you love me that much. And this morning, Lord. This morning, Lord. I recognise... Recognize that I have a problem. I have a problem. That I'm far from you. I'm far from you. Because of my sin. Because of my sin. But I thank you. But I thank you. That you love me enough. That you love me enough. To deal with the problem. To deal with the problem. And so Jesus, I want to say this morning. So Jesus, I want to say this morning. That I believe you died for me. That I believe you died for me. That I believe that God raised you from the dead. I believe God raised you from the dead. And I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. Would you forgive me for all of my sins? Would you forgive me for all of my sins? 
And thank you that you show me such amazing mercy. Thank you that you show me such amazing mercy. Amen. Amen. If you just keep your eyes closed for a second, if you did pray that prayer, would you just put your, uh, for the first time, would you just put your hand up now, if you haven't already, and the steward is going to bring you something around, and we'd love to speak to you over in the corner at the end of this morning. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. If you've come with someone this morning, let them know you've prayed that prayer. And feel free to come and speak to us over in the corner. I'll be over there after the meeting. It'd be great to talk with you and help you in this journey of this decision that you've made. Amen. Hallelujah. People coming to know Jesus Christ this morning. How exciting. Praise God. Worship team, you guys ready? Or you're not, but could you come and, come and be ready? That'd be great. <laughs> I just would love for us to have the opportunity to respond to what I trust God has been saying to us this morning. You know, when, when we join together next week, we're going to have the opportunity to break bread together and to pray. And I believe that God has for us an, an invitation, um, an urging from him, if you like. And it's from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And, and God says, therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicated, all of yourselves, set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, your logical, intelligent act of worship. It's the only reasonable response to what God has done for us, that we would present our bodies as a living sacrifice to him. And it's as we do that, that that transformation begins. As we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, that we are being transformed, not only from the inside for us, but to transform the world around us as well. As we come to the Lord, as we, as we know his love for us, our response is, is worship, and our response, therefore, is sacrifice. And the result, therefore, is transformation. So to enable us to come next Sunday presenting ourselves as living sacrifices, knowing that that will transform our communities, what we're going to do right now is we're going to worship the Lord. Because as we know his love for us, we offer our love to him, we offer our worship to him, and we sacrifice ourselves to him, and then we transform the community around us. So what I've asked the worship team to do, I hope this is what I've asked them to do, is um, we're just, I just would like for us to have the opportunity to, um, I know that we know this, but we, we need to really know this, that God loves us, that, that God loves you this much. And so you don't need to join in with this song. It's how deep the Father's love for us is the song that we're going we're gonna to listen to. But as you listen to this song, just know the love of God for you. And when this song then finishes, we've got the opportunity then to respond with our love for God, with our sacrifice to God. So we're going to hear this song, then we're going to respond in loving worship, knowing and trusting that that's going to bring transformation in us and to the world around us. That's going to stand us in really good stead for coming next week to offer ourselves again as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.